Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. So we just got to, last week I wrapped up a whole series on the glory of God, which I was very apprehensive to do. Um, uh, to, yes, to call me on it. Keep me straight. All right. And I've, <laughs> but we, we taught for a long time on glory. I was very reluctant to do it, and I ended up having way more fun than I ever thought I'd have preaching on God's glory. It's a, it's a, that's a daunting thing, you know? Who's qualified to talk about God's glory? Well, after that whole series, how many of you are just thoroughly convinced that there's really nothing else to concern yourself with in this life than God's glory, right? And so we're kind of, we're going to make a break now. We're going to kind of um, move into a new season here, start talking about something else. But the more I look at it, the more I go, you know, really, we're not breaking from it at all. We're going to kind of transition from talking about the glory of the Lord and how we are the vessels, the carriers of his glory. That's his plan. And then now we're going to start talking about the kingdom. Okay? So, in other words, we're going to talk about the same thing. Let's just pray for a minute. Lord, I... I um, I invite you into this. I ask, Lord, that you would breathe life into your word. Lord, never permit me just to, just to say things or speak whatever the heck I want. Lord, I pray that your spirit will fill it, that it'll be life transforming, and that you will lay a foundation for things that you are trying to build in us over this summer. And we thank you in faith that you've heard and you, you're answering this prayer. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Um, so, um, I'm just going to start by, um, giving a little bit of a, oh, a, a story of a, I guess it's more of a metaphor. Um, right now I've got like a house full of people cause my nephew's family's in town and, uh, and, and Jamie and Aubrey, their family comes over. And uh, so we've got like kids running everywhere. So you're watching all these parenting moments, right? One, one after the other and, um, you're being parents to other people's kids. We're like, you know, we're kids sharing. So much fun. Um, but it puts kids on your mind, right? And so, um, okay, I'm just going to tell like this. You know, I'm lucky and I have the best kid in the world. And it's true. Uh, I hope every parent has the experience of being able to say th the same thing. Because I think God only gives the best. And when, when he gives the best, it's, it's people. It's not like things and stuff. And um, so as awesome as my son is, okay, you know, he's, he's a, a little man, so he's human, right? And um, I want to tell this story to kind of illustrate how things go sometimes. So in our family, um, when we have a day off where like all three of us are actually off on the same day, like a miracle happens like that, um, what's most relaxing to us, I know we're weird, we like to have a work day. So we'll fix up, you know, we're going to do fix the greenhouse today or we're going to whatever. And part of the culture of, of my family is that when we have one of these days, everybody works. It's including like we started when Jonah was four years old. If, you know, we were building a rock wall or something, he's working too. Because that's how we do it in our house. It doesn't matter that he's, you know, we're hauling boulders over and building something and he's bringing 
pebbles and setting them on the wall and looked at, I got a rock. Oh, that's a nice rock, buddy. Go get another one. You know how it goes. But as he's gotten older, we'll say, okay, you know, bub, we're going to have a work day today. This is what we're going to be doing. Then here comes the question. You probably know what I'm going to say already. He says, why? Somebody said it. I heard it, right? And the assumption in the question why is that, dad, you have no good reason behind why we do it that way or that's why it's going to happen. And then what do we say? <laughs> Same, huh? Because, because I said so, right? And then instantly as parents, we get that check in our spirit. We're like, oh, darn it. I missed a teaching moment right there. I said, because I said so again. But the Lord started to kind of reveal to me something that there is something deeper in the because I said so. There's a reason that I'll guarantee you because I said so is translated in every language around the globe um, because I think there's something deep there. We say so because we are the culture setters. Parents are the kings of that kingdom of the home, right? That's God's order. And so we set the culture in our home. Why is it because I said so? It's right. It's because I said so, because I set the culture. We do it here because I have so much love for you that even though you don't think there's a good reason, I have a very good reason why we all work when it's a work day. It's not going to make sense to a child. I think it's the same way with us and God sometimes, don't you think? And I can remember growing up, my dad would say, um, as long as you're under my roof, anybody else said that to your kids or said to you, okay, what is that? In other words, under this roof, it's my kingdom. And as long as you are a partaker of, of that protection, of the provision that happens under this roof, of the authority of our name under this roof, as long as it's under my roof, it'll be my way. And what's, what's suggested in that? Leave when you want. Hey, son, you, <laughs> you want to go have at it, right? Go ahead. But as long as you're under my roof, right? So, you know, I always have the hardest time when, I'm, when I shift gears on the first sermon of a new thing. It's because my brain races all over the Bible. I want to try to tell you everything in one Sunday. And it never works out very well. So I'm going to be very disciplined. Um, we're going to dig in the Word of God here. But really the purpose here is I want to lay a foundation for where we're going, which is, which here it is. Okay, I'm going to tell you the answer before we do it. Of course... Jesus is the king of the kingdom. Amen? In other words, he sets the culture. We don't get to. Okay? He's the one who says, this is how it is under my father or under, under, in my kingdom. It'll be this way. And he does it because he, because he loves us, right? Because he's absolutely tickled crazy in love with you and has the best plans for you, just like we do for our kids. So he sets a culture that will put you under in his protection, his provision, and the authority of his name. Amen. And so for, I think for months moving forward, if it goes at all, what I think the Lord is communicating the plan is, um, that's what we're going to be going through. We're going to be looking at his culture and looking at our lives, our church, our homes, and asking, are we making a place that he's welcome? Does that sound good? 
that the Spirit of God is welcome there. Okay, go with me. I'm going to start by just laying some foundational things about what is true about the nature of God and the way he establishes his kingdom. Okay, so go with me to Exodus um, 40 and verse 34. You know, I usually try to pick a primary text and kind of move through it. I, I look, there's no way I could start the foundation of this new thing doing that. So we're going to run around a little bit. I usually avoid that. But Okay, so here it says, this, this is speaking of, of Moses when the glory of God is still in a tent, the tabernacle, okay? And in verse 34 it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud, listen, whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in their journeys. When would they go? When it was lifted. When the glory of God began to move, they would move, right? But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. In other words, until it began to move. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Now, it's going to seem like a side note, but I felt very strongly I've got to start here because this is showing us that we are we move with the glory of God. There's the first mark of his culture, okay, is that, that his presence is, is what we go after. Okay, they, essentially they chased the glory of God. Now I know there was a movement called God Chasers and stuff, and I'm not I'm not talking about that. See, you see, the glory of God moves even while I'm just standing still. I don't have to travel to another city. He's trying to move right here in this church. He's trying to move in your house. Okay, and so, and we follow that glory of God. Now I'm going to read you my favorite parable. And it's one sentence, and then we're really going to jump into the, to the meat of it, okay? In Matthew 13 and in verse 44 is Jesus' one-sentence parable. He says, I'll let you finish turning. <laughs> he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. At first glance it may not seem like it, but it's really the same thing as reading about how, how they went about being God's chosen people that we read out of Exodus. Okay? It's, it's a treasure that you're, you're going to get. You see, Ecclesiastes says he put eternity in the heart of man. Eternity is a word in the scripture that, that is essentially, it's kind of used interchangeably for God. In other words, it's in your nature. It's your, whether you know it or not, it's your deepest crave to be a part of that kingdom and to follow and stay in that kingdom. Now we're going to dig into that in exciting ways this morning, but I just felt like if, if we're going to go this direction for months, we have to start there. It's a crave, it's a hunger to be, to be what you are wired to be, okay? So 
Go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And what we're going to do is just begin to lay a foundation of how, how God thinks about being among us, how he thinks about his culture. Okay, so what, in other words, what his desires are. Do you care what his desires are? Yeah, me too. And he, do you know that he cares what your desires are? We're going to see that too. That's amazing. So here in, um, did I give the verse already? Second Chronicles 7 and in verse 12. Okay, here it says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him. So here we are. At this phase, the glory of God, the kingdom of God is no longer contained in a tent. It's moving to the splendor of the glory of the temple, Solomon's temple. Okay, now I know you all know this by now. If we're talking about the temple, what are we talking about? You, your heart. Good. So bear that in mind. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Lord says to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. I want you to focus on one word just for a moment. Chosen. He said, what's he saying to Solomon? He's saying, I have chosen this place. I've heard your prayer. So he's a friend of God, like you are. He talks with God. It's a two-way thing. Relationship is always two ways. God's heard him. He says, I've heard your prayer. And he says, I chose. Do you know that that's true about you? He, he wants his plans for you. He loves you this much, is that you are a place that's chosen for him, for a house. Okay. Look at somebody and say, I'm chosen to be his house. See, it's a big deal to be chosen. It's not, it's not just something that's, that's given or something that, it's, it's something that he actually, as a person who, who loves you like you cannot imagine, says, I choose you to be my house. Okay, let's go on. We're going to talk about that. He says, now listen, in verse 13, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, I know we read this recently, but I want to show you something different here. Notice that what God is saying just next, right here in what we read, is he's saying, let me show you my culture. Do you see that? That's what he's doing. He's saying, I've chosen this place as my house. Now he's saying, now let me tell you what the culture is going to be here. Now, now take notice that the first thing he, he follows up and says about his culture is that I, I will send hard things. When you're contrary to my culture, you know what this is doing is calling forth a turning. So if your life is contrary to my culture, or there are aspects, aspects of your life that are contrary to my culture, or if your church is contrary to my culture, then if you turn, then, then I'll heal the land and, and restore the blessing. But I am also, just like a, any good father or any good mother, you're also willing to let 
um, the experience of consequences of being contrary to the culture of God to be there, right? But then if you'll turn, he says, if you seek my face, part of my culture is if you seek me, I am ever eager to restore, right? Okay, he goes on. He wants to tell us more about his culture. And he says, now my eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to prayer made in this place. In what place? In you. He's attentive to prayers made at his house and you're his house. I want to tell you more about my culture. He says, for now I have chosen and sanctified this house. What did we say sanctified is? Set apart. That's it. I've chosen and I have set you apart to be my dwelling place. And he says that, okay, now now listen to these words. That my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there permanently. What did that just say? In other words, you are chosen to be the place that he wants to put his name upon. Now, if you soak this up, it's, it's way more magnificent than first meets the eye. You understand, in our culture, um, names are or not necessarily that big of a deal anymore, okay? It's not like if, if I tell my son Jonah, well, that's okay, just go tell him you're a Saboran. <laughs> right? We don't even get it. It'd be like they would, they'd laugh, they'd laugh at him. Um, but back then it was totally understood that, that the name is, is the authority of the family. It's the authority of the head of that household or the king of the kingdom. They would literally have a signet Okay, that is the symbol of the name, and it carried the authority of that family. Okay, so in other words, at least for me, one of the most exciting things in the world is that God has chosen you. That's what this just said. God has chosen you because He wants to put, He wants to have a place to put His name upon you. He wants you to have his, the authority of his name put upon you. Now, let me tell you something. Just a minute ago, I told you that, that eternity's been put in the heart of man, that the desire to be in the kingdom has been hardwired in. Now, in a minute, we're going to talk about where that can be killed and stuffed by the enemy and things, but it's hardwired in you. Now, listen, if his kingdom is a kingdom that has his name upon it, in other words, it is hardwired in you. It is absolutely innate, put in you by God, that, that you have an unquenchable desire to bring things under the dominion of Jesus' kingdom. Does anybody know that's true? Okay. Now, in our world, there, there's so much sin, things get twisted, right? We twist it in the sin nature. Um, we can go out, we can set out to build all kinds of kingdoms <laughs> out of that God-given desire to be one that walks with dominion and, and bring the things of this world under, so, under submission of that kingdom. And they can be all kinds of kingdoms. 
Okay, but God's plan is that you are going around and you naturally desire this, to go around and bring things under the submission of Jesus's name, under the submission of his kingdom. Okay? In other words, not so much focused on like what, you know, where we get trapped is we, we get, we get majorly impressed with the size of our own issues or our problems. Right? I do it all the time. And his, his plan is for you to, to not be so focused on, on your own stuff, but to be one who goes and finds the issues in other people's lives and brings it under the authority of Jesus' name. Do you see that in the Word of God here? It says, I'm looking for a place to put my name upon. And that's you. Is anybody blown away? That's you. He's looking for you to be the carrier of that authority. You naturally, well, naturally, <laughs> in the redemption of Jesus Christ, when that comes over your life, you naturally crave to bring things under the dominion of his name. That's why it's one of the most abused things in Christian history. The authority of the name of Jesus. Um, you know, you can, you can look at history and you see the, the ways that authority has been used. It's because people often have the, the desire to, to, to build <laughs> their kingdoms instead of Jesus's kingdom by, by leveraging that natural crave that every person has. That's why you see so many abuses. But that's also, you understand, that is also the strategy of the enemy, right? The enemy would love to poison the truth that he means for his name to be upon you, his spirit to be in you, and his name to be upon you, so that you walk around your world bringing things under the submission of his name. And if he can poison that, if he can give you counterfeit experiences that make you go, oh, that's, that's just an abuse, and then you write everything off as abuse, the enemy's winning, right? And we're not okay with that here. You are the place for his name. Tell somebody I'm the place for his name. Let's see if I should keep reading here. Yes, I should. So then he goes on and says, as for you, I'm in verse 17. If you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all that I have commanded you, and listen, if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom. Now look, this is what we're, we're going to be looking at stuff in this, in this area for, for several months, I think. What'd you just read? Is Jesus just, um, compulsive about making sure that he can get you to follow rules and things? Now, so what's he doing here? He's saying, what that statement is saying is, if you will align under my culture, as long as you're under my roof, right? And just like any, just like um, imperfect earthly fathers, the idea is, he knows that there's good reason. He's not giving you any statute or judgment or precept or law or something. Th these are boundaries for blessing. Amen? In other words, he's saying, You've, you are making for me a place where I feel welcome. Does that make sense? Okay, I want you to look at it this way for a minute. I came up with this example. Um, imagine you're going on vacation. 
Okay, and so you're you're picking out where you're going. And there's one place that um, it has all the things that you like. It's got a heated pool. You know, I don't know what you like. It's got the right bed configuration and the things like that. And then you've got this other place where the culture is completely different. So in here, they don't use beds. They sleep on mats, on the floor, and whatever. The amenities are not your kind. Obviously, you're going to choose door number one. Okay? And... Th- this is what the Lord is telling us in this. He's saying, if, he's saying, if you make for me a place where I'm at home, then I will be in that place. Then I will, in fact, I will put my name upon it. And obviously, primarily, we're talking about your heart. But we're also talking about your businesses, your homes, this church. Every realm of influence that you have is a place of calling from God where he's saying, make it a place where the amenities are arranged for me, and I will dwell in it, and I will put my name on it. So that that is a place where everything that comes at it is brought into the submission of the name under the name of Jesus Christ. Things that are broken are made whole in the authority, his name, the authority on that place, that place being you, brings that authority. Things that are wounded become healed. Things that are under curse, you are to walk around and bring from curse to blessing. That kind of authority of God. And then he goes on, verse 19. I, I, won't, I won't beat this too long because there are some things we're going to move on to. But he goes and says, but if you turn away and forsake, forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I've set before you, and go serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them, that's the, the people for his name, uproot them from my land, which I've given them. Okay, I'm going to stop reading, but in other words, what? When you go, when you go contrary to the culture of God, when it's a place where, where he's kind of, where he has to say, I can't put my name on that. Does that make sense? I can't stamp that with the symbol of my name. Then he has to withdraw, and it's absolute love that he does that. Okay. I want to talk um, a few things about culture, and then we'll move on. The first thing is, and remember, I'm trying to lay this foundation so that we have a really strong place to move forward in the weeks and months to come, because then we're going to start narrowing on specific aspects of his culture that you can take and talk to God and say, is that the culture that I'm making? Are you welcome in that area, or do I have a culture that's contrary to yours? Does that make sense? Does that sound exciting? Mm, okay, hopefully it'll be exciting as we do it. The f- so there's two things I want you to see about the way God sees you and the way God has designed reality. The first is, he, from the very beginning, he's always been looking to, for a place to put his name on. I won't, I won't beat that one because we've already done it. The second one is he's always wanted to dwell among us. He's always wanted us to be the place of his dwelling. Okay, and we've been talking about that. We've been talking about that through the whole glory series. Okay. So, okay, we'll leave that. So, so far we've looked at um, specifically at God, and we've talked about your desire a little bit. I, I feel like I would be amiss 
if I didn't address the reasons or the ways. Um, I'm apprehensive to do a show of hands. Now I'm going to do it anyway. We can be bold, right? How do I want to do this? I'll just jump in. Okay. So the heart of man cries for dominion. I've told you that. Um, you realize it's very easy to become a spectator in the kingdom of God. Okay? And, and all I really mean by that is um, wounds and um, disappointments and things like that begin to begin to push down the desire to hold that dominion that God means for you to have. Does that make sense? What I was going to do was a show of hands, and I thought, no, maybe we won't do that. How many of you are sitting there thinking, I don't know that I have that crave or that desire? And I want you to know that's okay. If that's you this morning, um, I believe God is going to be changing that for you. <laughs> because that, that is the enemy's strategy. Okay, wounds and spiritual disappointments bring us into the lie that we are not those dominion holders, that place for God's glory, to command things under the name of Jesus that we're supposed to be. So if you're struggling, I just want you to know, first of all, I would just say, brace yourself for a season of healing if you're struggling with the idea that you are that dominion holder, because that's probably coming. Okay? Or you're already in it. You're probably sitting there going, I knew I'm already in it, right? Or it's poisoned. It's counterfeited so that it's literally bad teaching. You see this, you see this all the time. There is a lot of bad teaching. The idea that, um, it is taught <laughs> that you're not supposed to be the place of God's dominion. Okay. Now, I don't want you to be scratching your head, and I feel like I'm probably making you scratch your head more than getting clarity. So I'm going to give some examples so that you can move right in with me. Okay. So, for example, um, I'll start with this church, and then I'll give some personal examples that could be in your life. Um, why do we have new ministries in this body springing up like a weed garden? New leaders and new ministries and all that's going on. Because it's the culture of God. You see, that's, that's the only reason to do it. It's being called forth by God because it is his culture. Um, you know, there are denominations, there are parts of Christianity out there that, that literally want us to believe that you need to go to your leaders for ministry. That you have to go to certain people that hold certain places, you know, come to, come to your pastor or whatever in order to receive. And, and you know that that is not the culture of God. It's you, you cannot read this book about what's written about his design in the body of Christ, each part supplying its part and walk away from that and feel and think you're supposed to need to go to a priest or a prophet or or a senior pastor or something like that it's not the culture of god you see and it that's not something that he can powerfully put his name on cuz it's not his culture um why did we appoint four elders 2 weeks ago or 3 weeks ago that's his culture. You see, in Ephesians 4, it tells us that, that his plan in the body is to raise equippers of the saints. 
You see that it's not for them to do the work of the ministry. It's for them to raise the saints. Who are the saints? Just let's make sure we got this. Okay, you guys are the saints. Lots of strange things have been done with that too. Um, but he raised it. It is his culture to raise equippers of the saints, people who equip the body of Christ to do what they do, to bring things under the submission of Jesus Christ. And I've got a weird one that came to my mind. Why are we renovating? Have you all seen it torn up upstairs? Why are we doing that? Because we just think we need to have really nice rooms and things? It's because it's the culture of God. You see, his kingdom is the only kingdom where every one of you is a king, a priest, and a prophet within your own calling in the ways he's planned for you. A king, a priest, and a prophet. In other words, you are the royalty of the family of God. Our spaces should scream that at you because it's the culture of God. You are a member of the royal family. You're treasured and loved like that. I'm going to give you a personal example. And then I believe we're going to move into a ministry moment. A personal example looks like this, and I think I've touched on it already. Okay, so how can we personally be contrary to his culture in such a way that we are not inviting the kingdom of God? Okay. That, we're not, that, that we are not a welcome place for his spirit. Here's an example. We can uh, be so worried about meeting our own need instead of realizing that his kingdom is a culture where his provision is sufficient, such that we're so wrapped up in it that we don't even have um, his focus to think that, that I should be going and solving other people's problems in the, in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? One culture says, I am completely wrapped up in problems instead of the sufficiency of God. And it keeps us from the culture that says, I have so much sufficiency that I overflow. <laughs> the authority of Jesus' name into people's lives. It's a faith thing. Originally, I intended to show you this in the scriptures. I don't, well, you know what? You know me. Since I can't help myself, I think we might. <laughs> Let's see. Okay. Actually, we're going to do this. I believe God helped me do this, do this well and do this quick. <clears throat> we're going to look at, at Jesus, Jesus' interactions. Okay, this is going to be so much better than anything we've done. And we're going to see two things that contrast, okay? We're going to see him talk to the Pharisees who are acting, thinking, being contrary to the culture of his kingdom. And then we're going to see him very quickly, we're going to see him interacting with his disciples and the difference in what he has to say with them. Okay, and, and let me just set it up like this. You know that in the Gospel of John and the book of 1 John, tremendous energy is poured into the concept of abiding. You know why that is. In other words, you understand Jesus is the kingdom and the kingdom is Jesus. There's no such thing as the kingdom of God without being in him. If you're in him, you're in the kingdom. Okay, so um, here in John, 
Um, I believe this is the interaction between him and the Pharisees. Let me check this. Yes, it is. So starting in verse 25, it says, Now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know, now listen, they're saying, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he's from. It says, then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple saying, you, listen, he says, you both know me and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know, but I know him for I am from him and he sent me. Okay. First of all, just notice Jesus knows exactly where he's from, right? He wants you to have the same assurance. Where are you from? God. <laughs> You're from God. Je Jesus knows he's from the Father, okay? Now he goes on and says, therefore they sought to take him. In other words, they wanted to take him down. Now what? why did they want to take him? They have no idea what he's talking about. He's talking about things they can't relate with. He, he's talking about knowing him and therefore knowing the Father. In other words, knowing the kingdom that Jesus is bringing right now, and they can't relate with that. They're, they are in a contrary culture to where when Jesus speaks, they can't even follow. So they want to take him. He's threatening to the culture that they're trying to create and maintain or at least they think he is. And it says, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, now listen to this, <laughs> when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? So you see, they're not, <laughs> they're really not on the same page. Do you see that here? And this is the reason we're reading this. In verse 32, it says, Then the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, this is why we're reading this, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. You realize why he's saying that to them? These are folks of a contrary culture. These are, these, are, these are people that are creating a culture contrary to the culture of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing. So therefore, you got to hold this. We're going to contrast this in a minute. Therefore, Jesus says to them, where I'm going, you can't come. You don't know the way, is what he's telling these people. And then the Jews said among themselves, this is how, this is how off course they are. Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? <laughs> does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said? You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Now hold that. I want to show you a contrast. Okay. Okay. Yep. Let's go to John 14. And right in verse 1. Now we're going to read about those who are called, those who are chosen to have his name upon him that are the makers of his culture. Okay? Does that make sense when I say that? 
Okay. Here it says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Okay, so it's already starting to say, the contrast here is you're, you're invited into that place. But now watch this interaction between him and Thomas just next. In verse 4, it says, And where I go, you know, and the way you know. So that's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. First of all, you see the contrast already. It's exactly the opposite. To those that were contrary to his culture, creating a religion based on things that are not his culture, he was saying, where I go, you cannot go. Now he's saying, you know the way. You can go where I go. My kingdom is spirit, and you you can be in it, right? But now here's Thomas. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now remember, Thomas is the one. He's a very practical kind of kind of dude right he's he's the one who needed to to touch and feel to have to have everything be proved to him and and that's okay that's the way god made him he's a very practical man and jesus obviously loves him cuz he persists in this conversation okay thank god jesus is that way cuz he persists with me that way quite often and so um so jesus says back to him i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me And he says, if you'd known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Now, I want you to see here Jesus's frustration, okay? Because Jesus has an expectation that is Thomas, um, Philip, that Philip should know. I want you to see that he has an expectation that he should know. Unlike the Pharisees where he says matter-of-factly, you don't know, you can't know, you're not able to go where I'm going. Here, there's an expectation that he should know. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Did you catch that? So he's going, from now on, you've seen him and you know him. And Philip's like, oh, okay, all right, I got it. Just show us the Father, that'll be good for us. And he just got done saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now listen to this frustration. Jesus says, have I been with you so long and yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Did you notice the word believe? In in other words, what's really the problem? Is it just truly just an understanding problem? that's going on it's a faith thing right moving into the culture of the kingdom of god so that you can be where he is so you can be one that his name is upon so that the authority in your life to bring things under the submission of his name comes straight from his throne at the right hand of god is a faith thing jesus could pierce right through it he saw exactly what it is he says do you not believe That's why they're struggling to see that. Do you see that? And he says, the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. You see that? I always struggle on the first one of a new series, so I don't run all over the place, and I did it anyway. But I want to wrap up with something this morning you can take home. 
This is something that you can go talk to God this week about this. I'm going to give you a practical one that is the culture of the kingdom. Are you ready for this? Put your seatbelt on. Don't be mad at me. You know, there's one commandment that, you realize the Ten Commandments are a great starting place for the culture of the kingdom of God. They are, of course, when you break them, when you sin, whatever, are you covered? Is Jesus' work sufficient that you're covered? Yes. But um, when, when you violate, Jesus came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. So when you violate the law, are you making a culture where the Spirit of God is welcome to fill you with his authority and bring things under the submission of his kingdom? No. Okay. So, and most of the time that's very, very clear to us, right? If uh, I have a feeling that everyone in here, at least I'm, I'm hoping as a pastor that everyone in here, if that you know, like if you were going around uh, killing people, you would be, you know, that's one of the Ten Commandments. You'd be pretty clear that like um, that's not something you can expect God's, God would say, I can put my name on that or I can, I will fill that with my presence, or if you're actively committing adultery, or if you're living the life of a thief, if you're stealing. Those are obviously not the culture of God, right? Okay, now listen, and yet in our culture, we have one commandment that we regularly break and we don't even bat an eye because we've kind of adopted the world. Somebody's on it already. You realize we we really don't have, at least in the culture of the United States, even the Christian zones of the United States, we don't really honor the Sabbath. Or even in spirit and truth, okay? I'm not talking about a lawful, like, well, it's got to be a particular day. But it is definitely the culture of the kingdom for Sabbath to be a really important thing in our life. Okay, because what is Sabbath? It is rest and it's evaluation, right? What did God do on the Sabbath? He ceased from his work, he rest, and he asked himself, is it good? And of course, in his case, he could always go, yes, it's very good. In my case, that's only a percentage of the time when I evaluate and go, ooh, that was good. I hope that this is going to wrap everything up. In other words, if we don't have this aspect of the culture of his kingdom in our life, Rest and resting in God so that we can evaluate. It means what? Two things. We're worn out and off course, misdirected, right? You can see where a good father who treasures you above all things and only wants to put his name on you, only wants to fill you with himself so that you're a carrier of his glory. That father said, a mark of my kingdom is that you should honor the the spirit and truth of Sabbath in your life. So you can see where a father, we want to go, why? I do just fine when I don't have Sabbath in my life. And he says, and he's able to say, because I said so. It's my culture. And it's because I, as your father, whose thoughts are higher than yours, who knows better than you, knows that you need to be refilled and you, you need to have that evaluation to, to be resting in me so that, so that you can look with my insight and my wisdom and decide if I'm on course or off course. Otherwise, we have worn out lives. We're not living out of the overflow. We have worn out lives that are not on the right direction. 
if we don't have Sabbath. So I mean to give that as a practical example of how one small, oh, maybe it's not small, actually it's probably a big example, of how we can be contrary to the culture of his kingdom and how not having the culture of his kingdom can be so detrimental because he can't put his name on it. It takes authority away. It takes his authority. Do you realize he is on the edge of his seat, right? It's not that he wants to withhold. The word of God tells us that he withholds no spiritual blessing. Does that blow your mind? He he refuses to withhold anything for you. You know that a good father... Now, with the house full of kids that are in my house right now, I, you know, I also want to want to bless them. I want them just to be having loads of fun all the time. But you know that a good father, even a good uncle or whatever, does not give a blessing that that child can handle. We had some four-wheelers out in the driveway and stuff the other day. Some of the kids were big enough to ride them, but we weren't putting the really little ones on the four-wheelers, Right? It's the, it's the same thing. He does not withhold. He's on the edge of this of his seat wanting to fill you with greater measures of his glory. He wants to give you greater measures of his authority so that you can go into this dark place and say come under the authority of the name of Jesus. He wants you to be able to change it for the blessing of other people. He wants that more than anything for you because he knows that that too is for your blessing. Why? Because of what we preached about for the last month and a half. Because that is the way that you gaze at the glory of God and so therefore as beholding in a mirror, you're changed. You see the glory of God and the glory of God comes on you to greater and greater measure. So the bottom line really, the the Sabbath... The bottom line is it's a kingdom of overflow, right? That's a mark of his culture. This morning we spent most of our time laying a foundation for where we're going to be going, which um, I'm so excited about. But for this morning, take this one home, okay? In fact, if it's okay with you, I'm going to pray for you a minute in a minute and see what he may want to reveal right now. But take this one home. Is Sabbath a part of your life? Let's start with one mark of the culture of his kingdom and see how he wants to bless it. Ultimately, he's saying, are you making yourself a place where you've arranged the furniture the way I like it? Am I, are you making yourself a place where I am welcome, where the Spirit of God feels so welcome that he just moves in and he says, I can put my name on it and authorize you and bless you, protect you, provide for you because that's a place that I'm at home. And is Sabbath, let's start with Sabbath. Is Sabbath a part of your life? I'm not talking about um, a legalism honoring of a day. If it works its way out like that for you, that's fine. But it's also in spirit and truth. Okay, times of rest where you rest in him and you let his wisdom evaluate with you about, am I on track? Do you have a word for me that I'm supposed, am I supposed to be moving in a certain direction? 
That's Sabbath. Is it okay if I pray for you? Okay, all right. Just allow yourself to relax and just just take some deep breaths and invite the Holy Spirit. Invite the, the, the Spirit is already there. He's in you, he's with you. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to make yourself real, to speak intimately and personally right now. And Lord, I just ask that you would reveal to each one here if Sabbath is being honored in their life or how they can better honor one way that each day and each week and each month they can bring that aspect of your culture into their life. And Lord, we ask you to begin a conversation with us right now. Show us an area of our life that is not your culture, that is not your ways. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray for each one here, Lord, as you've begun this conversation We bring you our faith that you're going to continue this conversation, Lord. We ask you to to begin to show us in our life, in circumstances, in moments, how, how you want to change our lives into your ways. We want more than anything to be a place where you're welcome because it's exactly like, like you like it in your kingdom. We ask you to fill us more and more with your spirit as you reveal what makes your spirit welcome in our homes, in our businesses, in this church, but most of all, just in, in, our, in our own heart, that our hearts would become hearts where the, the furniture is arranged exactly like you like it. And the culture that is in our heart is your culture so that you are completely limitless to fill us with the authority of your name, with the provision of your hand, and the blessing, the spiritual blessing that you never withhold that comes from your kingdom. I pray this in the name of Jesus over everyone here. We love you, Lord. Amen.